get after me, I forgot to turn it on. So hang on. <laughs> oh, hope everybody had a had a good week last week. And um, well, before we get cranky, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you giving you thanks first and foremost for who you are. And uh, Lord, as we've entered into the Christmas season. Um, I just pray that for each person that is sitting here that has come out today, that, Lord, you would direct our hearts uh, towards the one great hope that we have, and that is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, who came and dwelt among men, uh, Lord, that he might go to the cross and take our place. And uh, so, God, I just pray that we would uh, contemplate on this greatest gift of all. We pray, Lord, that uh, for our church, uh, that the gospel would remain at the center of all that we do. The cross would remain at the center. And uh, Lord, we want to ask your blessings upon our service today, that you would make much of your name and that you would glorify your son. And uh, we ask this in his name. Amen. Um, so let me make a few announcements. And well, before I do, I just want to thank you all for coming out on a rainy, dreary, getting more miserable by the minute type of day. Um, but you know, we need rain. God knows what we need. Um, but let me, let me say this. Uh, Naomi asked me on the way here, we were driving down the road and we hit, we hit a big puddle and it threw water up in the wheel well and we kind of skated for just a little bit. Do be careful driving home. Um, it is more dangerous to drive in these conditions and I understand it's going to be worse right about the time that we're leaving, so do be careful. Um, having said that, to all my truly deep water Baptist friends, um, a few announcements here and first and foremost, thanks to everyone that helped with the Living Nativity and uh, very interesting, um, something like that would never happen if it's left up to me. Um, and it wouldn't, I just wouldn't have thought to do it, and, uh, but we did it, and I want to say that it, it was fun. Um, we had a good time, it was a good time of church fellowship, so those of us that were here and that worked and helped, and let me just say, if you helped build something, if you, if you prayed for it, if you baked cookies, um, if you donated anything, which by the way... Originally, I didn't know this, this was supposed to be sort of a fundraising type thing. We kind of forgot all about that. Um, but it was, again, it was just a wonderful time uh, to spread some Christmas spirit, the true Christmas spirit, the story of the coming of Christ, and uh, the hope that we have in Him. Now, having said that, there is, I think the word I heard was, or the number was a bazillion. There's a bazillion cookies over here, and there's little bags and so even though it's raining, you've already braved the weather, go over there and get you a sandwich bag and take some cookies home with you. And take, Does anybody here not have sweets in their house? Well, take some anyway, all right? Uh, lots of cookies over there, and they're good. Um, just a few quick announcements, and they are in your bulletin. Christmas, our Christmas service will be next Sunday. It's on Christmas Eve, and we just have regular services scheduled uh, I'm not telling anybody what to do in their Sunday school. If you want to have a social or something, you certainly may. Um, but we will have our regularly scheduled services. Um, that Wednesday, we will have church this Wednesday, but next Wednesday we will not have our Wednesday evening Bible study or choir practice. Uh, I didn't ask you that. but yeah. um, uh, we, we do collect um, a missionary offering, Baptists do, and this is, again, one of the ways that Baptists can lock arms together and uh, the little monies that small local churches gather becomes big monies and supports lots of, lots of missionaries. And so our Lottie Moon Christmas offering will be collected um, now through December 24th, and you can just make a note of that on your envelope and put it in the offering plate. And, of course, our Christmas card ministry is ongoing. And if you are a church member, and some of you that may not be members, check back here. Um, there are mailboxes in the back. 
Um, and that's all the announcements I have. Are there any others that need to be made? All right. Well, not seeing any. Let's uh, mention some prayer requests. And, of course, this is a time when you can mention them as well. But let me mention some that I have marked here. Um, by the way, one last announcement. We will have a deacon's meeting, a very short deacon's meeting, Wednesday, um, after our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, and the reason I said that, I saw Norma Bailey's name on here. And I understand that Norma Bailey is going to need a ramp. And it's, uh, in fact, Robin just called me the other day, and I had just been walking around and seeing the ramp, and I was like, man, this is a waste that a church owns a handicap ramp, and we're not using it. And I said, we ought to give it to somebody. And then Robin told me that she thought Norma was going to need a ramp. That is correct. Uh, they're hoping she gets to come home for Christmas, maybe, mm -hmm. Okay. I don't like when people talk about what doctors let us do. Yeah. In, in, anyway, I know what you're saying, though. I know. <clears throat> yeah. Um, we've got a ramp. It's one of the aluminum ramps, and I'm not going to lie to you. Who, who helped me put it together last time? Was it just me and you? If me and Josh can do it. <laughs> In fact, Josh brought the tools and the know-how. I was just a warm body, okay? Uh, but we, it's, it's nuts and bolts and washers. Um, it has different configurations. A little help on it w would be nice. And uh, we'll talk about that at our deacons meeting. But hopefully, if we do, we may call on some of you to come help. Um, but anyway, uh, do keep Norma in your prayers. Remember uh, Neil and Ruby Williams. Uh, remember Warren Thompson. Uh, Thomas Grossman and Shirley Shea, um, keep them in your prayers. Yvette Rushing, Donna McCormick, and remember uh, Hunter, the, the young man that uh, this is expected to have his last Christmas, and he's 22 years old. I, that keeps coming to me, and uh, so just, just pray for he, he and his family. Um, remember the health care staff. Uh, Jill asked that we keep them in prayer, that they could stay well so that they could take care of the others that are sick, and there are many that are sick. And so continue to pray uh, for those. It's, it's that time of year. Um, I've got Johannan down, and so my wife's taking care of him, and there are lots of others that have things going on. Uh, so keep them in your prayers. Remember Susan Cole. This is Alice Culpepper's daughter, and, um, and she's having a tough time. She has a, uh, a cellulitis infection, and uh, just keep her in your prayers. Pray for healing in that situation. Um, remember Ronnie Lucas uh, that Mitchell mentioned, and uh, Donna McCormick. And uh, there is a, we, we keep the, a list of bereaved families on here, and, you know, we can't keep them on there indefinitely, but I, I want to mention something. For everybody that has lost a loved one, any time really, but certainly in the last year, some, there are many families, some in this church, that are going to have their first Christmas without somebody. And uh, it leaves a hole in the family. And so just remember, the, if you think of somebody that you know has lost loved ones, pray for that family and remember them this holiday season. Um, what other prayer requests would you guys like to mention? Okay. That's a different Danny Ray. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, we'll make a note of that. Danny Ray. And remember Rory Page. She's uh, wearing a 
Okay. Okay. What else? Now I've got to tell a story, though. I've already told a few people this story. <laughs> so my, my, it's a good story. This is, this is good church humor. The world's full of people telling jokes that really ain't funny, and so this is funny. Uh, Albert called me, and uh, my birthday was December 15th, and I think Albert texted me on the 12th. Happy birthday, preacher. I said, well, you're a few days early, but thank you. That's a nice gesture. And he said, okay. He uh, texted me again, I think, on the 14th. Happy birthday, preacher. I said, well, you're still early, but I, I thank you for thinking of me. And you know what he said? That's all you're going to get out of me. I'll try again next year. <laughs> oh, <laughs> anyway. Oh, all right. What else? All right. You got one, Billy? That's right. And that's good. And we thank the Lord for all the good stuff that he does for us. Uh, but Billy did remind me of something just seeing you when you raised your hand. Um, it's hard for me to imagine this, but there's a lot of bad stuff that happens right around where we live. And Billy had to leave, I don't know if that was yesterday or the day before, respond to a call of a, a local shooting. And we've had stuff like that before. And I hate to think that that is part of the culture here in Mount Gilead, um, but it is. And uh, that is something that we can fight with prayer. And so just keep that in, in prayer as well. And uh, especially pray for the young people that are brought up in that type of environment. Um, but anyway, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer now and remember all these and lift them up. Mitchell's here. Mitchell had his surgery, by the way, and he's looking good. And, uh, and we thank the Lord for that and uh, continue to pray that Mitchell heals up well. But let's, let's pray now. And uh, Laban, would you remember these?
Is this on? Good morning, everybody. Is it good to be in the Lord's house? Louder? Great. So um, this song that I'm going to do this morning is very special to me because it brings the reason for the season, which is Jesus, right? So uh, I hope you enjoy the song. There's a rose in Bethlehem With a beauty quite divine Perfect in this world of sin On this silent holy night There's a fragrance much like gold That it sends upon the wind Reaching out to every soul From a lowly manger's crib A rose of Bethlehem How lovely, pure, and sweet Born to glorify the Father, born to wear the thorns for me. There's a rose in Bethlehem. Colored red like mercy's blood. Tis the flower of our faith. Tis the blossom of God's love. Though its bloom is fresh with youth, surely what will be he knows. For a tear of morning dew is rolling down the rose. A rose of Bethlehem, how lovely, pure, and sweet, born to glorify the Father born to wear the thorns for me. There's a rose in Bethlehem with a beauty quite divine perfect in this world of sin on this silent holy night a rose of bethlehem how lovely pure and sweet born to glorify the father 
I want to ask you if you would to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Romans. And we'll be reading from Romans chapter 11. And while you turn there, um, I want to remind you that we have, we were just taking a short series on Israel and we are doing this um, primarily because, well, this is a reaction against some of what we have seen um, on the news, in, in the media day to day. Um, Given the goings-on that, that are going on with Israel right now, particularly as they relate to activities with Hamas and the ongoing conflict there. And so first we talked about, um, all with a biblical perspective, the people of Israel. And just as a reminder that Israel is a nation formed by God Himself, called through the man Abram, Abraham as we know him. Um, and then later we looked at the land of Israel even Israel's borders being defined by Almighty God. And uh, so we looked at what the land was that they had now and uh, the land as described in the Scriptures. And then last week we looked at the worship of Israel. And, of course, the, the, the hope of, of, of Israel's worship is that it climaxes with the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ Himself. Now, we didn't sugarcoat this. Most Jews do not worship Jesus Christ as the Messiah, which is what makes them an evangelical Christian if they are one. By the way, you can be both, and some are, um, but most are not. And so today we are going to talk about the future of Israel. And um, if you know me at all, you know that I, I don't go out of my way to preach prophecy, but there, there is prophecy that ha has been given to us. I think that um, sometimes ministries become defined by prophecy, and preachers meddle too much in things that really we don't know. Um, but I think that there are some things that we can know, and uh, so we're going to look at a few of them today. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If it were up to me, we would read all of Romans 11. We're not going to. It's a little long. And in fact, I would go all the way back to Romans 9.1 and read that all the way to, to Romans 12. That's your homework. You can do that in your own time. Um, but we are going to read um, a couple parts of Romans 11. And so I'm going to ask you if you would to stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Bible says, regarding the remnant of Israel, Paul writing to the church at Rome, I ask then, has God rejected His people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, 
Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. I'm going to read that last part again. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their future means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm going to skip this section on the Gentiles being grafted in. I covered that previously. And I want to ask you to look in verse 25. Paul says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, speaking again of Israel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm not going to tell you that there are not some very difficult things in here. There are. In fact, some of these things are so difficult that people have done some theological acrobatics to make them say things that they do not say. But I want to focus in particular on the future of Israel and before I launch into that, let me just go ahead and tell you that not every preacher would agree with everything that I'm going to say to you. What I'm presenting to you, I will stand before God and I will answer for having taken this stand. And I do my level best with it. And I do appreciate all of you that pray for me to be bold in proclaiming the truth. Um, I, I thank you also for those that pray that I will see the truth as it is. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you that as we cover this passage... When we read the word Israel, I interpret that as, are y'all ready? Israel. Now look, not everybody does. And, and I'm going to deal with that a little bit when we get to it. But I believe that here when it says Israel, Israel is what it means. And so I want to uh, give you the first point here and let you know that God has always preserved a remnant of Israel for himself. In fact, some people don't like this, the idea that God saves a remnant. If God didn't save a remnant of Israel, of the Gentiles, then there would be none that had been saved at all. It is only by God's grace that there is a remnant that has been chosen for himself. Uh, I hope you noticed in this passage, and I'll point you back to verse 2. It says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now look, this word for new, and again, some people do all sorts of things with that. I believe that Paul, in fact, if you go back to Romans 8, so make your homework bigger now, 8 through 11, um, he mentions what we know as the golden chain of redemption. 
And he speaks of those that God, of whom God foreknew, and it says that those whom he foreknew, he predestined, and those that he predestined, he called, and the ones that he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. And so when it says those that he foreknew, these are those that heard the call in such a way as that they did not turn away. Not the ones that heard the gospel, but the ones that heard the gospel and believed. And so according to this passage, even among Israel, he has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And so this refers to the remnant that he has kept for himself. Now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry, but that's what the passage says. And in fact, the example that he uses is from the Old Testament. And uh, he uses Elijah as an example. And uh, I hope that you remember in the story, he finds himself alone. And like a Christian in the world that we live in today, says, it's just me, God. There are none other. I feel so alone. And God tells him something. He says, you're not alone. There are 7,000 others. And God, by the way, I love the way he words it. He says, that I have kept for myself that have not bowed the knee to Baal. He doesn't say that have kept themselves. He says that I have kept for myself. And so he uses this example of a remnant. And by the way, Elijah's charge is against his own people, the Jewish people. And God says, I have kept a remnant for myself. And Paul here is saying the same thing. And in fact, he goes on to say that this remnant, this is in verse 5, so too at the present time, Paul's day, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Let me say something else. So too, at this time, in the year of 2023, there is a remnant also chosen by grace. And he says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That means that the grace is not what you do. The grace is what God does. And it's always by grace. Abraham chosen by grace. And in fact, Jesus makes a point of this when he does his own preaching in the New Testament. And he says, but there were many widows in Israel in that day. But Elijah came to none, but and he mentions a Gentile. And he says, there were many lepers in Israel in that day. But Elisha came to Naaman the Syrian, a Gentile, always by grace, never by works. And that's the, the point that Paul makes over and over. And the emphasis is on, it's not works. If it was works, it wouldn't be grace. It would be something that you did. And I just want to say something. We talked about Israel's worship. And when we talked about the Orthodox Jew. We talked about how their worship made them look different uh, in what they wore. It made them look different in how they wore their hair and, and to this day. It makes them look different in a recitation of pre recorded prayers that they memorize. It makes them look different as they wear phylacteries on their arms and forehead. It makes them look different in what they eat. It makes them look different when they go to synagogue. And this is works. And so you want me to come here and beat up on Israel for a works-based religion. And if that's what they're trusting in, then we should. We would be right to do so because that's not grace. But let me do something else. The same can be said of Christians many times. Now, before you think I'm going to beat up on the Roman Catholics with prayer beads and kneeling and genuflecting and all that sort of thing, let me get a little bit closer to home. Or as Adrian Rogers said, let's plow a little closer to the corn. Baptists can be just as guilty when they trust in baptism, membership in a church, a certain attendance record. Look, these are all good things. Giving, this is, these are good things, but they're works. 
And if they are something that a person trusts in as part of their salvation... In fact, my Bible tells of a terrifying account when there will be many that will stand before Jesus and say, have we not done great works in your name? And it even goes on to say, have we not cast out demons in your name? And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That is terrifying because salvation can never come by works, only by grace, only by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. Well, that brings another point. There is some work involved. It's just not yours. It's the work of Christ. And this is my gripe when the preachers get up and talk about the free gift of salvation. And I remind you every time that you hear the free gift of salvation, it's free to you. But it was the most costly thing that, that ever came to earth because it came by the very blood of God Himself in the man, Christ Jesus. So the work was done by Jesus when He lived a perfectly sinless life. Something that none of us have done, none of us could do. When he died a sinner's death, though he deserved it not. When he, the lamb before, slain before the foundation of the world, laid himself down on that cross and was lifted up, when his side was pierced, and the one who was wholly harmless and undefiled died, gave up the ghost, and was buried in a tomb. And then when he doing something none of us could do, three days later, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and rose. So there is a work that is done, but that work is not ours. The work that saves is only the work of Jesus Christ. Now this partial hardening, and when we consider Israel in its current state, remember, Paul's talking about Israel's future in this day. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm going to be honest with you, not much has changed. It will, but not much has changed. And we see in verse 25 that he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. I'll pause right there. A partial hardening. Now that word hardening, if you know your Bible, should just sort of get a hold of you. By the way, if you do the homework assignment, you will see in Romans 9 that word comes up. And uh, in fact, Paul writes about the hardening of Pharaoh. One time I heard a preacher preach on that, and he said, God didn't harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart, so then God hardened his heart. And I'm going to tell you that that preacher hadn't done his homework because the first mention of that says, when, when God is sending Moses, he says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I will do great wonders in the land, he will not believe. So the hardening we see here is done by God. And the hardening that was done in Paul's day was done by God. Now look, this, is, this does not give you any right to cast shade on God, to doubt God, to accuse God of being unjust. And Paul deals with that in this larger passage and somewhat in here. Do you notice through the tone of what Paul writes that he is saying you're not allowed to bring a charge against the Almighty God? That this partial hardening, and by the way, if you think that's unjust, that Israel receive a partial hardening, I remind you that when they crucified our Lord and Savior, that they cried out, let His blood be upon us and our children. And I'm going to suggest to you that God granted that, that indeed it is to this day. This hardening, though, is quite clearly the same thing. Can you imagine Pharaoh, in the day when the signs were performed, the ten plagues, and Pharaoh still refusing to believe, refusing to give in. This is 
Nothing more than spiritual blindness. And so this is what Paul refers to here. And by the way, let me say it again, not all of them. In fact, we have one church member here that was telling me, you always kind of get scared when you first hear this. He said, I've been listening to these teachings of a rabbi. I was like, oh. But he's a messianic rabbi. And so this rabbi, he teaches through the Old Testament, and he teaches how all of the Old Testament points to the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can listen to a rabbi like that, but don't scare me next time, okay? <laughs> oh, but the point is, there are many of Israel that have eyes to see, that God, by the work of grace, has opened their eyes to let them see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that they cannot be saved by their good works, and that the only power of life over death is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. So many can struggle with this hardening, uh, but the example of Pharaoh we find uh, that I mentioned is in Romans 9. And again, this, this work is, is being done today. And I, I have to stop here and say, many times a preacher will preach on something like this and he'll say something, he'll, he'll go too far. He'll say, so God has put away Israel, and they'll come back to a verse like this. Um, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so they'll say, so God has hardened Israel. He's done away with them, and his mission is among the Gentiles. That's half right, and half right is, well, it's half dangerous, okay? And so keep in mind that God, it, we've already covered this. He has a remnant of Israel that they're his. They're those that are saved the same way we're saved, by grace, by believing in Jesus Christ. And... Uh, in fact, I'm reminded of what it says in Revelation, that out of Israel will come the greatest evangelical force that the world has ever seen. 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. They don't even know who they are today. They don't know what tribe they came from, but God knows. And according to Revelation, the 144,000, if you haven't done your homework, they're all Jews, so don't let somebody come rap on your door and tell you that they're one of them. They're all Jews, and they are all evangelists spreading the gospel. And I believe at a time when the church has been called home, and we will witness all of this from the mezzanine. But in preserving a remnant in Paul's day and our day, I want you to know that God is doing a work, and it is until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Now, I worded it exactly that way because that's the words that the Bible uses. Now, most people interpret that, that there is some number... And uh, in fact, I believe I was standing somewhere about right here a few weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about all that's wrong in the world, uh, a few church folks, and I said, I don't know what the Lord Jesus is waiting on sometimes. I wish he'd just come on. <laughs> and you know what that church lady said to me? There's still at least one more. <laughs> and there is some day, I believe, when the fullness of the Gentiles will come in, and Jesus stands at the ready when the Father says, All right, son. Go get them. And I believe with all my heart that in that day, the Lord will call His church home. Now look, this was always God's plan. Sometimes I think people read passages like this and they think that God's dealing in plan B or C or D or even further down the alphabet. This was always God's plan. Always from the very beginning, knowing that, they, that He would be rejected of Israel, knowing that He would call on the Gentiles. And we read it in Revelation that people will worship Him from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. There'll be people of all different skin colors, all different languages, all different continents. And God is doing a saving work all over the world. And somehow it is related to Israel's rejecting Him and a hardening that has come upon them.
This gives us as a church no right to anti-Semitism. In fact, I believe that as a New Testament church, we should look at Israel with pity. I think we should pray for Israel. I think we should pray for their eyes to be open and for salvation to come. And someday that prayer will be answered. So pray for it or not, the day's coming. Um, but I'm trying to agree with God here. And uh, let us not be self-righteous. In fact, the part that we skipped is about branches grafted on. That's church, that's Gentiles that aren't Jews, boasting against the very tree that they are grafted onto. Now, I have to make a little point of this before I move on. God is not unjust. God is is good. Now, I have to, some, some people that, well, what, God's hardening here. I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. I like to think of God as this big teddy bear, and I pray to him, and I ask him to do what I want. No. But God is good. How good is he? Let me remind you that if he had damned us all, he would be perfectly just in doing so. But to the praise of His name, He did not. In His goodness, He has loved us. In His grace, He has called us. And this hardening again that has come upon them is nothing more than what they asked for in the first place. So those that would bring a charge against God, I remind them that verse 32 here says, For God has consigned all to disobedience, and yet He saves in fact, I thought about Israel, and I'm not going to cover every little prophecy that you find in the Minor Prophets. But one, for example, and you find this in Zechariah, I think it's chapter 11, don't quote me on that. But it basically says, I will make Israel to walk through the fire. And it says that two out of three of them will be lost, but one third I will save for myself. And so God says through the prophet Zechariah that at some point in Israel's future, two-thirds of Israel will perish and one-third will remain. That is a terrifying, terrifying thought. And some of you might think, well, did that happen during the Holocaust? It did not. During the Holocaust, one-third perished and two-thirds remained. Now, I realize that God's not dealing in exact numbers here, but He didn't miss by a third. All right, And so I believe that that day is to come, and it is what we read about in Revelation, uh, when the great dragon, Satan himself, makes war against them. Uh, but I was reminded as I was thinking about this, about Zechariah. And I love this story because this reminds me of how good and righteous God is. And in Zechariah chapter 3, there is a vision of, the, of Joshua, the high priest. This is not Joshua in the Old Testament that... Uh, led the conquest through Canaan land. This is Joshua, the high priest. And I just want to read it to you because this is the high priest. This is not a preacher. This is not one of, among, of, of Israel. This is supposed to be their holy man, right? And it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this, talking about Joshua, a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel and he was clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Now look. If the high priest of Israel, 
stands before God guilty in sin and in a state of condemnation such that Satan himself can stand at his right hand and accuse him and condemn him, then who are we to think we have any kind of righteousness? And in fact, we're like Joshua. This is what it means to be saved by grace. You were bound for the fire, a brand plucked from the fire and saved by grace. Thank you, Jesus is right. Amen. He goes on to say, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who hold a sign. Behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Now that's pretty interesting. The branch. And in my Bible, they knew who this was when they said the branch because it's capitalized. The branch refers to the Messiah, to the Lord. And so I want you to know that all of Israel that ever has been saved, they are saved through the branch the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and none other. So don't let some TV preacher tell you that God saves Israel some other way through their sacrifices, through their law, through their ritual. None of that saves. Jesus Christ saves. And let me point you to verse 26 where it says that someday all Israel will be saved. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way... All Israel will be saved. So right now, the majority position is that Israel is lost. In fact, they're a lot like America. Most of them are secularists. They are atheists. They are materialists. They trust in the things that come through scientific journals and that alone. And they don't observe the law. They don't keep their father's traditions. They are just people living in a country but there are about 10% of them that are what we would call Orthodox Jews. They do their best to keep the law as they understand it, and it's not exactly like it was in uh, the days of Moses. In fact, it's not even really that close anymore. But there are a few, a remnant, that are Messianic, that realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Now, when you read, all Israel will be saved, um, well, I'll just make you aware of something. There, there is something that... In the world of theology, theologians refer to as replacement theology. And the idea is that God has replaced Israel with the church. And this verse should be the verse that shows you that God is not done with Israel. In fact, this chapter is not the only chapter, but the most compelling chapter that tells you that God is not done with Israel. Unless you look at this uh, verse that says, "...and all Israel will be saved." And you say, well, they had the word for church back then and Paul meant all the church will be saved. doesn't make any sense anyway. Of course the church is saved. That's what the church is. It's the people that are saved. And so this means that all Israel will be saved. And by the way, many of the people who don't, don't believe that, that don't agree with that, the people that they say that they follow with regards to theology do believe that. And I'm talking about including people like R.C. Sproul, including people like John Calvin, including people like John MacArthur. Realize that this means that all Israel will be saved. So the day is coming where, and it's probably going to be, it will be after that Israel is made to walk through the fire, go through this difficult time, what the Bible calls the days of Jacob's trouble. But the third that remains, they will cry out to the Messiah. And as it says in Hosea, he will hear them and he will answer them. And all Israel will be saved. Now I just want to remind you that God is not doing this because of Israel. God is doing this 
because of God. And God is faithful. I remind you of what it says in Isaiah. This is God speaking. He says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, and he says it again, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. You know, in 2 Samuel, God makes a promise to King David. And by the way, this is a great example of how prophecy has a near-reaching aspect and a far-reaching aspect. He promises a future king, and so in some ways this refers to Saul, but in other ways it refers to the branch. So listen to what he says about this coming king and his kingdom. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And when your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. Now you can read that and you can quite easily see that he is referring to Saul who indeed, uh, indeed did build the temple. But when it says that he will build his kingdom and he will establish his throne forever, that this refers to the very throne of David and the one that Jesus Christ himself will sit on in the age to come. And by the way, when it says when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, he's referring to the very king, Solomon. But it also refers to Jesus. And before you cast stones at me. Indeed, Jesus did commit no sin, but we did. And he took our sins upon himself. And the chastisement of our sins were upon him. So this salvation that the world will see, and by the way, I can't wait to see some of y'all's faces in heaven. Some people have this idea that we're not going to be doing anything. It's going to be more like this life than you think. You'll have work to do. You'll be busy. Uh, if you don't think God's got something for you to do in heaven and you're just going to be like the Looney Tunes cartoon, sitting on a cloud, playing a harp, you're crazy. And it is going to be a celebration like has never been known. The saints gathered around the very throne, worshiping the Almighty to the glory of His praise in the presence of His glory. We cannot even imagine it. We really cannot imagine it. The Bible says as much. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what good things God has for those who love Him. But this salvation that God has planned, including this partial hardening, it is going to be a celebration of the very glory of the Almighty God. And we cannot imagine it. This salvation, though they are the enemies of the gospel now, is the way that God chose. It says they're enemies of the gospel. The gospel is God's message. It's not man's message. It's not the preacher's message. It's God's message, and it's always been His way. It's His plan. The Bible says His words will not return void, but they will do all that He has sent them to accomplish. He chose His way, including His Son, His sacrifice, His mercy, and His grace. And God is not done with Israel. 
And the day is coming when all Israel will be saved. They will hear the words of God. They will hear the gospel. They will believe the gospel. They will cry out to the Messiah himself. Someday from this earth, Jews who have rejected him will lift up their hearts and they will cry out to a king named Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we give you thanks for your word. And Lord, we realize that we are heirs that deserve not your grace, nor your mercy, nor your gospel. But we thank you that you've sent it to us. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent Christ Jesus to be a light, not to the Jews only, but also to the Gentile. God, it is our prayer that as we celebrate this Christmas season that we remember the glory of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we celebrate the grace that has been shown to us, the grace that has been poured out for us. And Lord, we pray for Israel. We pray for the day when their eyes will be opened and when they will cry out from the earth and that heaven will hear and that Christ will answer their call. We pray, God, that you would keep your people and Lord, that you would, Lord, that you would touch many hearts and so that the day comes when it's no longer the 90% who have turned away, but the day when all Israel will be saved. Lord, for all that have come out, we pray that we would not compromise your word, that we would see your sovereign choice in all things in this life, knowing that all things work together for good, realizing that you are control of history past, history future, and that not one thing has slipped from your plan. And Lord, we pray that if any of us can't see this, Lord, you open our eyes. Lord, if there is a lost soul among us, we pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts as well. Do the work that men cannot do, that persuasive preaching cannot do, that songs that stir up the heart cannot do, but only that which happens when a person is born again. We ask it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. I want to ask you all if you would to stand. Miss Betty's going to play, and we're going to have a time of invitation. Now, I said it in my prayer, and I'll say it again. I cannot save you. I have no saving power in me, and if I had any, you wouldn't want it. Only Christ can save and only by grace. And it only comes when a person believes that he is the Messiah. If you believe that, the Bible says that there are no undercover Christians, whether Jew or Gentile, that a person must make a profession of faith. If not, Christ says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father who is in heaven. So if you've never made a public profession of faith. I want you to come up here and tell me if today is the day that you want to do that. If you have any questions for me, this is your time to come. Church is supposed to go to church on Christmas, so I hope you all would come out, and uh, we're going to have our...